Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt and taxes and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, with a love of fantasy books and funk, and a hatred of running more than three miles, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And welcome back to a monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and outside of finances. Now, Season three, episode 33. A few episodes ago, I mentioned some of my favorite podcasts for doctors that I personally listen to. Our next guest, she is the heart, she is the soul behind one of these podcasts. She is a pediatric gastroenterologist by day and a podcaster, side hustler, and a mom somehow by night. She developed this podcast, the Hippocratic Hustle Podcast, to create a space for women physicians to come together to share their stories of their business, their project, and their side hustle. You know, it's so funny when you get to talk to someone and uh, after you've been listening to them for a while, I'm just so excited to have her on this podcast. Please help me welcome Dr. Carrie Reynolds from the Hippocratic Hustle podcast. Welcome, Carrie. Oh, thanks, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. That was a great introduction. Thank you. Well, you helped me write it with the introduction on your website. <laughs> you know, that that helps a person out when someone has that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so tell us a bit about you, Carrie. Um, we're here all about trying to help empower doctors with knowledge of how they can slash their debt, slash their taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. So tell us about you. Where did you grow up? Thanks. Yeah. I grew up in Michigan. Um, I grew up in southwest Michigan and then worked my way across the state through um, undergrad and medical school and residency ultimately ended up in residency in um, in Detroit and then I did my fellowship in Kansas City and then we moved here to Denver Colorado where my husband's family lives and settled near grandma and grandpa thankfully and some aunts and uncles and um, and have a nice little life here in Denver so that's that's where I came from and how I moved across the country Having help with family is so nice. We, we had moved from Seattle, where we had my in-laws, out to Minnesota nine years ago, where we knew nobody. So be grateful for that help, boy. I'm yes. Oh, we are so things. grateful. Free babysitting. You just can't beat it. So, yeah. So was it hard to move to Colorado then, you know, and make that transition? Oh, um, no. After? I think it had always been my husband's dream to live here in, in Colorado. So um, so that made it easy. But and, and having the family and always coming here for vacations. And so now we don't have to vacation here. We live here. So. Right. <laughs> and spend money on plane tickets and stuff from Michigan. So so it works out. We, we really enjoy it. And he's a physician, too, correct? He is. He's a general surgeon. Mm hmm. Yep. So the, did the two of you meet in residency, or how did the two of you get together? That's a great question. No, we met uh, freshman year of undergrad. Um, he was attending community college and um, in the next town over, and I was a fre I was freshman at Kalamazoo College in, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I majored in history, medieval Europe, ancient Greece, and Rome. So oh, wow. we, I know, right? <laughs> That's what I think is hilarious about my life. Um, so when I was in undergrad, my, my mom was always like, what are you doing? What are you going to do with your life after you graduate with that major? And, uh, I couldn't answer her. <laughs> so, and she always said, you should be a dentist because she was a dental assistant. And she always uh -huh. joked about how little dentists work. I don't think that's true, but <laughs> that was her perception. <laughs> So, but I just, I couldn't do mouths. So anyway, ultimately I, I majored in what I wanted to major in because I always do things my way. That's how I, I roll actually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my husband was always um, pre-med. He was always, always wanted to be a, um, a surgeon actually since he was in high school. But he had an interesting story too because he went to community college uh, before transferring to Michigan State University. So I think that's pretty remarkable that uh, that both of us have a little bit of a non-traditional way of getting to medicine. Um, so yeah, so ultimately we got married the summer, two weeks after I graduated from undergrad actually. So uh, we were we were pretty young. Uh, but um, yeah, I moved in with him at Michigan State and he was still finishing his undergrad at the time and he was pre-med and he had all of his books laying around. And I thought I can't you know, do this job that I was doing. I was actually working for the Girl Scouts at the time. I was a very feminist uh, type of person. And uh, I felt like that was helping the the women in the community. So um, so it was a good job for right after undergrad. But um, mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't do that forever. So I had to think about what grad school I was going to go to. I kind of 
knocked around the idea of going to law school, like all of my friends mm-hmm. who uh, were, you know, humanities ma- majors, and mm-hmm. uh, knocked around going to business school, which um, I think at the time, now in retrospect, I almost wish I had, because I have such an interest in, in business and, and finances and things like that. But I think at the time, I didn't have any mentors or anybody to talk to about that. So I wasn't sure what my life would be if I went to um, get an MBA. So, um, so ultimately, I was actually at the time helping my husband apply to medical school um, and kind of helping him research how you go about doing that. And I realized, hey, this isn't so hard. I could do this. <laughs> so, so funny. This isn't so hard. I don't know, right? I was, that sounds so horrible. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I realized that from reading, I was actually a really active member in the student doctor network. Um, which I think still exists. It's still helping a lot of medical students. Um, but, uh, you know, reading the non-traditional forums and things like that, I realized, wow, there's a lot of people out there like me who are non-traditional. And, um, and I, you know, I was always interested in science and under, in, um, in high school. So uh, it, it actually wasn't such a long stretch if, if you think about my interests when I was in more of, of, of a high school age. So um, yeah, so I ultimately went back to school, got all the prereqs for medical school, and uh, wow. and applied. So I ended up being two years behind my husband in medical school. So yep, so that's how we that's how we did it. We we went through medical school together. We went through you know he was in a different residency program at a different hospital, but in the same town. Um, you know went through residency together. Had our daughter, my intern year, and his would have been his third year of residency. And uh, so, yeah, so that's that's how we did it. So, yep, we wow. met well before <laughs> medical school and undergrad and all that. So, so how did that work with the match? You know, were, were yeah. the two of you trying to put the same places kind of top of the match? Like, how, how did that work with residency? Yeah, well, he was already in residency since he was two years ahead of right. me. So what was really nice is that he matched in Detroit. And in Detroit, there are tons of residency programs. He's actually, he's osteopathic and I'm, I'm um, allopathic. So um, he was at an osteopathic program, and um, but anyway, there was there's just tons of residency programs, and I went to Wayne State University in um, in Detroit, so um, so that set me up well for staying in town. So yep, nice. so it, it it worked out really well. Honestly, I know a lot of people have way more problems with that, and um, and it's a struggle it, that I I can't imagine having to split up the family and and things like that that people have to go through. So thankfully, we were able to stay in town. So yeah. Man. That's good. Now you're yeah. able to stay together that way. It's hard enough doing all the hours and stuff yeah, exactly. as a physician, <laughs> little and all other stuff. So I'd love to know, Carrie, like as you're, as you're going through undergrad, uh, what kind of influences had you had related to money at yeah. this point? Because here you are not thinking of going into medicine, thinking, I don't know, teaching history or right. something. Like <laughs> what, 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 what was that like for you in terms of relationship with money? Well, yeah, that's interesting. When I went to, I went to a private undergrad. And so when I graduated, I remember thinking, oh, crap, I have so many loans, I didn't know what to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was when I my first job out of um, out of undergrad, I was salaried and I made $19,000 to start. (laughs) So (laughs) full time. So I was knowing that I just did not have enough money to pay off my student loans. Although now right. in retrospect, I mean, it was like sixty or $70,000, which is just a joke compared to how much I have now. But mm-hmm. um, so I knew I had to go back and, and get more um, education. But I will have to say, as far as influences for, um, you know, my perspective on money and things like that, I have to thank my mom. Um, she was every Saturday, she was always balancing the checkbook. Uh, that was what she was doing. She was paying bills, balancing the checkbook. She was a great role model to like physically see there, um, you know, doing that work and, and working through our finances. And I never felt mm. like we were strapped for, for money, even when my dad had been out of work for about a year. Uh, you know, oh, wow. everything. Yeah, she really she really held our household together and um, and made sure everything was taken care of and that us kids didn't really feel the stress. Uh, so, yeah, I think she was a great planner. In fact, they just retired at age, um, they were 61 and they re- were able to retire even before, you know, a lot of people uh, can and they lived, they moved down to Florida. They bought their little Florida house and their little retirement community. So they have, you know, they planned really well. And nice. they are very relaxed in their retirement, even though they're not, you know, they don't have a ton of money or anything like that. But they just plan so well for their their future that they are they are set and they feel comfortable. So they're great role models as far as planning for retirement and, and being fiscally responsible, for sure. 
was it something where they would bring it up to you or was it just more by observation that you saw your mom writing the checks in the checkbook and balancing stuff out? Yeah. Well, when I got to be in college, my mom said, never get a credit card. (laughs) And so I Mm. took that to heart a little bit. And so I never had a credit card in undergrad. Um, I know my parents have a credit card, so it's not like she's against it, but she just knew, I think, that college students don't know how to manage their money with credit cards. So I just, you know, did everything with cash, um, you know, and checks and things like that when I was an undergrad. And um, honestly, it wasn't until I was married that I got a credit card. So um, so she definitely, yeah, she definitely instilled that in me. Of course, my husband and I, when we got our first credit cards, we were so young. It's so funny that we got married so young. But, you know, we got our first credit card and we went out and we bought everybody Christmas presents, like everybody, you know, and it was just so much fun to be able to like relax and just spend money and things like that. But then we had the bill that came back. And so I think that was a quick and we were we were old enough to appreciate that lesson, I think. So it wasn't something that we continued after that. Actually, we, we learned really well from that and didn't continue um, getting into credit card debt um, routinely. So, yeah, so I can I just imagine that, that. You're, you you open up the mail open up the bill. Oh, crap. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, now we you? have to pay this off. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so was yeah. it something where you, you just, you buckled down because you would have been a medical student by yeah, this time? Yeah. So ultimately I think, you know, those bills got paid off and everything, but, um, and my husband was working for a few years or for like one year, I think, before he went to medical school. So as a research assistant in a lab, but, ah. um, yeah. So, um, Ultimately, we went into a lot. I mean, of course, through medical school, we were living on student loans. So that was one thing that definitely was a problem for us is that we always took out 100% of any loan that was offered to us, Um, even Mm -hmm. more sometimes, you know, things like just, you know, buying a computer and you could get the loan for the computer, you know, that sort of thing and and buying fancy computers because, of course, you can get a loan for it, right? So, um, Mm. you know, just, just kind of not very responsible ways but you know we were living on two two student loan checks essentially so i don't know how much that works out annually it'd be kind of interesting actually how much we got paid but at the time but um yeah we felt pretty broke i will say there was one moment actually i remember that i went to the coffee shop to go study and i tried to buy a coffee and my card was declined and it wasn't oh, even wow. it wasn't a credit card. It was my my debit card. And I was like, oh, there must be something. Something must be wrong. You know, whatever. I didn't wasn't too worried about it. But I didn't couldn't get a coffee, so I came home and I checked the balance, and it was zero. <laughs> wow. In our checking account. In our checking account. So um, what, yeah. What, few, what did you did you shed? That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, were were you just like broken over that i mean what, oh, God. What, what what was going through your mind you know just to to open up the computer and see a zero balance sheer terror sheer terror and just knowing like that you just i mean just and and just feeling so guilty that i wasn't even mm. aware that i was so close to it being drained i mean I, it was really close i think to getting the next check so i think we probably just used our credit card to to float until we got there but it was just like Oh my God, how irresponsible. That's that's what I felt, like. shame. I think shame because mm. I, I'm, I've i always been in charge of our finances and my husband's, um, you know, left me that responsibility and, um, and you know, and I, I, I blew it at that moment. I totally blew it. And, you know, unbeknownst to us, we totally were blowing it constantly as we were taking out all these student loans, but, you know, <laughs> we were living life, so. <laughs> well, it sounds like, I mean, you, you have a couple of these moments. I mean, I can just picture the path unfolding before us now where you see your mom writing checks yeah. and having some of that responsibility. And then you, you have that credit card moment. And then now mm-hmm. you have this moment where you see a 0% or zero value in your bank account. Was that a turning point? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was was a point where I think probably around that time that I started following my bank account a little closer, that's for sure, and and using... um, uh, apps and um, and Excel spreadsheets. Actually, yeah, you're right. That was about the time that I, I, you know, it was a little analog back then. I guess still digital. I guess, but Excel. You know, um, where I had a, I downloaded a spreadsheet and was able to keep track of things. So, yeah, that started my my interest in keeping track, <laughs> which well, is you, I guess you, the first start. Right, is like know know where your money's coming from and where it's going. Well, I just want to encourage everyone. I think, you know, programs like a Mint yes. or those yep. out there are great, yep. but 
what's nice about a spreadsheet is that you you have to look at it when yes. you type it in, right? So I yes. think there's still, I do this myself. I still use spreadsheets because it forces me to look at it rather than, and, and analyze it more rather than just You're accepting right. what Mint tells you to do. You're right. You have to, right. You have to feel it. You have to f- touch and feel it almost. I mean, of course, you know, David Ramsey and people like that, like the cash envelope system, and you really are touching your money then. But um, I'm not, you know, not not that hardcore. So, <laughs> yeah, you really have to touch it and feel it and work with it. And I'll have to say that um, Mint is very passive for sure. Um, personal Capital is very passive as far as, as their budgeting. And YNAB or you need a budget.com, YNAB.com is, mm. is great for being a little bit more pro- proactive and hands-on. So... Yes. Interesting. And we'll have to check that one out. We'll link that yeah. in the show notes. YNAB. YNAB.com. Oh, yeah, it's great. I'm going to have a podcast about it um, coming up soon. So, yep. So. All right. There you go. Everyone got to listen to the, the Hippocratic Hustle. <laughs> there's the, right. The. So, Carrie, let's uh, just keep on moving on here. So, um, at this moment that, that now both of you are in your residency, you mentioned being an intern, you're having, having a kiddo. I, w- I would love just to uh, thank you for your vulnerability so far. I would just yeah. love to, to ask you to take another step and just let us know at that point where you guys were taking out all kinds of student loans, how much student debt between the two of you yeah. did you have at that particular point? Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to add this up because <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, I know where my balance is right now, but I wasn't sure where it was approximately back then. Um, Mm. So because I I was keeping track of it, but I, you know, I guess it's just my spreadsheet changes. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I dug back Mm -hmm. in my files. So uh, somewhere over 600,000 was where we were then. Yeah. With interest accruing at six percent or five percent, you know what we we um, we put our loans into deferment and forbearance and everything that you could possibly do to not have to pay for them. Exactly, we did that, and it's bad. That's bad, people. Don't do that. (laughs) Well, I mean, think about it, right? Even even if you had five percent, a lot of students today and residents have it accruing nearly seven percent at five on six hundred grand, thirty thousand dollars a year. That's more than you were making, right? Oh my god, I don't even want to think about it. It's just, oh yeah, it's just, oh my goodness. I know, actually, you know, residency is hard. So I'm kind of, you know, in retrospect, looking back. It, you know, I'm kind of glad we weren't too stressed about money. We were, you know, ha- getting our bills were paid and, and we had, you know, food on the table and it wasn't too stressful. So so thankfully, so that that worked out pretty well for us. But now it's like, but once you graduate and you're ready to pay them back, you're like, what was I thinking? Why <laughs> why didn't I right? just pay a little bit on them? Why Just the interest only, you know, whatever. I mean, even back then it would have been um, uh, likely would have been able to get a, a, a tax break on that in residency. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, but we didn't do that at all. So, um, so you know, we felt the pain later. And that's the thing is, like, I remember back in medical school when they had the student loan officer come and talk to you and things like that. They would say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry about it. Or, or maybe it would be other other doctors or other people. I don't know. But people would say, oh, don't worry about your student loans. Don't worry about it. You'll be able to pay it off. You're going to be a doctor. Don't worry about it. You know, that's wow. that's honestly what I remember thinking throughout all of medical school and, and – um, and residency that, you know, don't worry about it. You're going to pay, you're going you're gonna to earn a lot. And, you know, and, and there's well, a lot of, yeah. Just interrupt. I mean, yeah. what, what's so interesting about the physician culture is that in so many ways, like you look at contract negotiation or, or many of these other things, you know, you are taught to say, yes, ma'am, yes, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and trust that what your colleagues say is right. The challenging is something that's not accepted, at least from my perspective of, of having talked to so many different physicians. Right. So when they tell you, don't worry about it, right? You're like, okay, you know, because yeah, you, you be trust. <laughs> must be true. So Carrie, now as as your husband transitioned to practice mm-hmm. first, or did he not? Because he had a fellowship and longer yeah. residency. No, it was great. We actually both, because we were two years off, we didn't plan it this way, but we really were fortunate. Uh, we graduated residency the same year. So um, I went to fellowship in Kansas City, and so I matched in Kansas City, and um, and thankfully the match is like nine months before you actually move. So he had adequate time to start looking for his first job outside of um, outside of residency. So he he practiced in Kansas City uh, after we moved there. Mm-hmm. So so during fellowship he was a practicing surgeon. 
um, and we we started paying off some things then, but um, but lifestyle creep happened. So <laughs> a little bit. Was it a lifestyle explosion or was it creep? <laughs> Thankfully, just a creep, I would say, because um, Kansas City is a low cost of living town. And, um, right. and we were able to find a house that was really great for us and it wasn't too expensive. Um, I will say he had a lot of peer pressure. His um, partner that he worked with was really big into very fancy cars and actually made fun of him for driving a Prius. And so um, <laughs> so I think he had a lot of peer pressure to to buy a nicer car, which he ended up doing, unfortunately. So I don't know. You know yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like I, I guess I, I feel a little bit of a, like a hypocrite here because it's like in some cases I felt like I was – taught so well by by wonderful mentors like my mother but in other cases I was drawn and and pulled by that by those temptations that we have as you know quote unquote high earning professionals you know that that people try to sell you things hey if you're a doctor they're going to sell you things you know and make right. you feel like you deserve it because you went through all of this training which you know in a certain respect we do deserve nice things because we train so hard but we we have to be responsible yeah. So, so still was easier making said than done. <laughs> exactly. Easier said than done. So still making some mistakes in um, in fellowship, but uh, yeah, my husband had a had a, a very decent salary, and we were able to pay off um, a fair amount of our student loans. Um, not not a fair amount. Let me back up. That's no, that's not true. I still have a ton of student loans, but um, but we paid off. Um, you know, in the three years that he was practicing, um, I think I think we did pretty good, all things considered, and especially without having you know a fire mentality shall we say i didn't i definitely didn't have a fire mentality i was just like yeah we can do this we got money it's great so i'll pay off student loans and and we'll be comfortable and it'll be fine so now how how, how long ago was this when you guys were in kansas city so, when did you yeah go? let's see i we've been in denver for two years so it was about five years ago so not that long ago at all right. i mean this is not not that long ago so it, as as you um get started there now at this particular time, now there's a lot more people like SoFi and DRB, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at the same time, you have the public service loan forgiveness mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. yep. available. So, how were you two of you thinking about those two? I mean, here you have a ton of student debt. Yeah. You know what 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 was going through your mind, and how were you thinking about it at that time? Well, um, honestly, I hadn't heard of SoFi and all those companies until probably about six months ago. So I feel, mm. yeah, I feel a little bit um, let down by some financial advisors that I had worked with um, and just who weren't aware of these things. I don't know if it was their responsibility, but, you know, they just other people and maybe even the Internet, because I'm pretty savvy with the Internet, but it wasn't going around, you know, that much back then. I, you know, and honestly, I think these programs have only been around for about three years. So it takes some time for them to get going and get advertising and people to get traction. So that's probably uh, why we didn't do that. And I knew we couldn't do um, the PSLF program because I planned on working in private practice after graduation and my husband was already in private practice. So um, so those weren't going to work for us. But uh, my um, my the way that I ended up doing it was just paying off those. I had some 8.5%. So I just threw money and all those, paid off all those um, in like a year or so after he started working and stuff. So I was just kind of whittling away at the high, high high interest rate ones, so. Nice, I love it. So what about now? So you found out about SoFi and some of these refinancers yeah. six six months ago. Did you end up refinancing? Were yes, you able to refinance? Did. Did I was able sense? to refinance. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really exciting. It's It's been so helpful for, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends have been able to refinance for a 10-year program and, you know, and really have... The light at the end of the tunnel they can see it you know it's there the, um but uh yeah so i i did i did similar and was able to refinance my high interest ones so so that will definitely take the edge off you know like i said a lot of people were saying that if you have low interest rates don't worry about it don't worry about it but um you know even 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 the low interest rates i want to get rid of now we have some that are under three percent and i just want to i want to get rid of all of them right now right <laughs> but i can't well, but well, i'm working at it Bottom line is, you know, you, 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 there's no guarantee with many different things that you could consider, whether it's rental real estate or whatever other bucket you want to pick, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get a guaranteed rate of return by paying That's off right. loans, particularly, That's right. particularly ones that are not tax deductible. So That's right. I, I am totally with you. So, um, I think you've, you've alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I'd love to know Carrie in terms of, 
of a mistake you made. You talked about being talked into things. Yes. I, I sense there's something there. Were, <laughs> yes. were you things were you talked into to something besides a Tesla or a Porsche? Right, exactly. That, Things that are commonly sold to physicians, unfortunately, include cash value life insurance, like whole life or other things that resemble whole life, like um, the variable universal life insurance or VULs. Um, definitely got into the wrong crowd with some folks with that, unfortunately. So made my uh, my mistakes. And, you know, like <laughs> David Ramsey says, this paid my stupid tax. That's for sure. I, think I paid it <laughs> over and over and over again, actually. But, um, yeah, boy, they really, unfortunately really take advantage of people who don't understand what you're buying. So, I mean, the, you know, these these products in very, very limited situations and circumstances can be beneficial to a very small subset of, of people. Um, yep. But someone who has $600,000 in student loan debt should not be buying cash value life insurance. Let me tell you, I know that now. And uh, so, so that's definitely... Um, where I've made my mistakes. So I, I definitely preach that that message loud and clear to everybody. Do not get involved in that unless you really, really know what you're buying and you really know that it's appropriate for you. It's, it's just not appropriate for the vast majority of people. Well, you're certainly not alone. Nee Darko in his <laughs> podcast with us went off on that. He, really he met, it wasn't just once. He did it like <laughs> two or three times. And one of them was a, a guy he met at the club, an insurance <laughs> guy. That that bottom a drink, you know, boom, boom, boom. Great, it's a great story. And sold in cash value life insurance at a club, of course. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so, Carrie, how did that come about for you? Was it were, were there people coming around to the residency program, or most certainly, most certainly? So, yes, there is a certain company that sells packages of life insurance and whole whole um, whole cash or whole life insurance. Um, and they were coming around to my husband's um, residency program. And I think they went through the same pair of guys ended up being the quote unquote advisors for everybody in his residency program. So um, yeah, so that was not not good. You know, you think you're getting a good recommendation from somebody who knows, you know, you're like your senior and your residency program you know, knows more than you, right? But yeah, no, they, they, they often don't. So <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, you've learned along the way, and you you now are in a position where you paid down your student loans a good deal, starting with the highest interest rate ones, which I love. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you did enough to spreadsheet it out and yep. understand which which ones to focus on. So I th I see you doing some really good financial habits along the way too. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's a lot to look out there, um, and now you have the podcast, yes. uh, the Hippocratic <laughs> Hustle podcast. So I, I wrote down this question. I have to ask it. What is your hustle? What is my hustle? Well, the podcast is my hustle, actually. Right. Now. <laughs> right? I also do. I think as, yeah. <laughs> I also do as much as I can on the side to get any money I could. I mean, I started trying to find um, uh, uh, like moonlighting because, of course, for physicians, moonlighting is by far your best bang for your buck. But um, yep. the moonlighting that I was able to find. It is no, it's not worth the money that they would pay is not worth the anxiety that would cause for me to get back into being a hospitalist, for example. Um, but uh, but you know the the urgent cares and things like that they they weren't hiring pediatricians because the urgent cares around here want family medicine or ER so that you can have one person to serve both populations. So I wasn't able to find moonlighting that was going to work out for me. So I you know started doing. Um, uh, like insurance reviews. So I do that on the side, although I don't get that many cases for my specialty. I think other, other specialties might get more, um, but I've gotten a few of those. So it's a couple hundred dollars here or there, you know, surveys, you get like 20 bucks here or there. So <laughs> it's not really going to mm -hmm. be paying the bills, but it just, you know, every little bit helps, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and both my husband and I are trying to maximize, you know, whatever we can do within our work and within our, our practice to try to maximize our income. So that's our, our personal goals right now, so. All right, well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. Maybe you're sitting here right now wondering, how am I ever gonna be able to pay off this debt? Or maybe you're thinking, I am so confused by this financial lingo. I need to get a better handle on this financial stuff. Or maybe you are thinking of buying your first home or getting a new job, or maybe you are wondering how you can keep insurance cheap. 
And that's why, my friends, this month I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. We've been at this for years, and it is coming out soon. The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life. This book is over 300 pages, and it is packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially, whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even a longer-term practicing physician. So here's what you need to do. Text Doctor Book to 44222, and I will let you know the second it is available to buy. As a matter of fact, I'll even give you a discount. This book, my friends, it's co-authored with past podcast guests John Apino from Contract Diagnostics and Amanda Lou from Dr. Wise Money. When you buy the book, you are not only investing in your financial future, you are also taking part in a really important charitable mission. And that's because the profits of the Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life will be given to the Physician's Support Initiative and to the college funds for Amanda's daughter. And we're doing this because you may remember that Amanda tragically passed away about a year ago. And this charitable mission is being done in her memory. Because this charitable mission is so, so, so important to me, I'm only going to offer this discount through the end of the year. And then we're going to sell the book at retail price because we want to raise as much money as we possibly can. So to snag your copy now, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. And now back to the show. I admire. Number one, you have you have a family, so you have a husband, you have a kiddo, uh, and and trying to balance all this stuff is not easy. And you've been consistent with doing the podcast, so <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm, I'm so um, happy to see you reaching out to the community and focus on female physicians. Yes. And for me, having this show has been such a great growth thing for me because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm naturally an introvert, and so. I have to go and reach out to people in order to have more shows, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. to get people who uh, are interesting. And so along the way, I think for me, you know, having a podcast, the guests have influenced me probably just as much, if not more than the listeners, because yeah. <laughs> I have to re-listen to it and right. edit it and make sure everything looks good. So I listen to these things several times over. And uh, it was as listeners would know, the land geek, Mark Podolsky, has been a big influence on me and something that I'm starting with my wife here soon mm-hmm. uh, as a, another side hustle. Uh, we've had physicians like Jim Dolly or Physician on Fire on the podcast, which for me, it's always like, oh, we got to buckle down, yes. right? And <laughs> do inspiring. what you tell other people to do. So it inspires me. What about for you? You know, yeah. you've, you've had so many different interesting guests that do a lot of different things. You know, how have your guests been influencing you. Oh my gosh, it's so funny you ask that because I every time I interview somebody in my head while I'm interviewing them, I think, wow, this is really cool. I want to do this. How do I do this? <laughs> you know? Even if it's something I, I would obviously never be able to do, I just I'm still like so inspired by them for taking the risks that they take and kind of stepping out there and um, and doing something totally different. So I yeah, everybody's been inspiring and I, I honestly I my brain starts going through the wheels start turning but uh so far nothing could really i could i couldn't really do what they're doing because it's all very unique and and individual to them but uh yeah definitely very inspiring (laughs) well i think of one guest that just stands out for me for whatever reason that you had on there was a um female physician that um I can't remember if she was an ER doc, um, but she had the made this device that that vibrated the busy yeah, the buzzy, the buzzy, Amy, Amy Baxter, buzzy. MD. Yes, the buzzy. Yeah, she's she was an uh, ER pediatrician. Yeah, she pedi- pediatrician in the emergency room. Yeah, yep. Well, just the the time that it took for that to happen, right? You know, it's just yeah. um, to and to put in the engineering and oh everything she did. I'm just yeah. in awe of of what she did to get that going. Definitely, definitely. People like that are just so so inspiring and I I think I think some of some people have little ideas in the back of their head that they don't know how to get it out. So I hope somehow that my podcast can help get their ideas out and help people you know, do things in a little bit of a different way. I mean, that's one thing I always say is that in medicine, we're we're trained to just kind of 
jump through the hoops and go through things the way that we're supposed to, right? Quote, unquote, supposed to. So when you're in medical school or even when you're an undergrad, you're pre-med, right? So you're supposed to take the MCAT and you're supposed to go to medical school. So you get into medical school. All right. Well, you have to go to residency, obviously. Um, Well, not obviously. There are some people who don't go to residency, but you're better off if you go to residency in a lot of cases. So, you know, so a lot of people go, you know, you go to residency and that's fine. And then when you're in training, your mentors and everybody are like, you have to do medicine in this way. You don't have a choice. You know, in pediatrics, especially in subspecialty pediatrics, you're training in an academic center. So everybody wants you to go into academics. Like that's what people are pushing you to do. <laughs> and there's a, there's other ways to practice subspecialty pediatrics. You know, private practice, for example, which in the adult world is totally normal, but in pediatrics is a little weird. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just, there's, you, there are different ways that you can practice medicine. You know, if you get halfway through your residency and you go, oh, crap, I can't do this. Go in, you know, see if you can't start over with a different residency. It's better off in the long run than doing something that you're not happy in. You know, just just don't jump through the hoops just because people are telling you to. Make sure you're making decisions for yourself. That's that's what my the whole goal of my podcast is, is helping people understand that they're, they have control of their life and that they can make decisions for themselves and not be pushed to do something that they don't want to do. Well, and I think there's this huge pull on physicians, like I talked about earlier, of, of saying yes. And there's this, I yeah. think I've heard you say it in your podcast, there's almost this guilt factor yeah. <laughs> that you're letting people down yeah, if, right. you're, if you're not at the clinic or if you're right. n- not following that path, right, of going to residency right. and then... Uh, going into academics or going into right or or stepping out of clinical practice I see this all the time there's a lot of web forums with like the dropout club and things like that where people are leaving clinical practice to to do something else and it's like oh my gosh people feel guilty and they feel like people are judging them and it's like we need you we need you to do that job that you're doing you know that's that's a needed profession and people need physicians to do those jobs so it's like what's what's the big deal I don't understand and people feel guilty and they don't want to make that step and I feel so bad because I think I think that again it's it's our it's our culture of medicine saying that you have to do things a certain way and I just don't believe that's true at all are you feeling pulled I get the sense from you that you're feeling pulled over time like away from clinical medicine because you have a passion for it obviously with doing the podcast yeah I mean I definitely within my own group I want to learn more about the business of running a private practice and um, and the business of medicine I I find a lot of interest in that you know I think probably just part of it is my personality I always do things the way I want to do it so (laughs) it causes problems sometimes like when you major in history and you know because you want to major in history not that it's going to help you at all but um, <laughs> so I think it's just history repeating itself, honestly, that I have to do things my own way. I'm a little bit of a rebel. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I love seeing my patients and I love talking to people. But I, I honestly feel like if I could pay off my student loans doing something else that's not medical, I would be OK with that and whatever it would be. I have mm-hmm. no idea what that would be at this point. But um yeah, I, I could I could totally step away from clinical practice. It'd be fine, but um, I but I do love I love my job. I love the people I work with. So and I love the kids. So <laughs> that keeps it fun. I well, love scoping too. I'm an endo- I'm an endoscopist. I do advanced endoscopy too. So I just love hands on stuff. So I would miss that for sure. Actually, I miss scoping. Well, it's hard to step away too. You know, when you're making great money and move into something unknown as well. You know, I think right. Oh yeah. I'll say a lot of these, a a lot of people I've interviewed for sure have taken a pay cut to do, you know, what they want to do. So, um, you know, and and thankfully, I think they were all in financial situations where they could do that. And, uh, uh, and so they were able to make it work. But that's, that's the sad thing about the student loan thing. It's like, if I didn't have my student loans, I mean, gosh, who knows what I'd be doing? I don't know. But, you know, it's just, you know, we still have to work and pay off our student loans. So we have to make sure that our income is commiserate for that and um, to be able to, to pay off those student loans because my student loans are more than my mortgage right now. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and and this, this kind of brings us to to another subject that, that I really want to hit on, and that is being a physician and a mom. Yeah. And I really feel this struggle from many different physician moms, or maybe physicians that want to be moms, mm, that yeah. – that this this whole idea of being forced essentially to work full time, let alone mm-hmm. maybe having a side hustle where you have two hundred, three hundred thousand yeah. dollars in student debt, that 
you're struggling with this concept of my kids are young, they're growing up, I want to be at home with them, right, and help them out, and you feel like you're missing out on the ballet recitals and right. soccer games <laughs> and, and whatever, but at the same time, I mean, you, you enjoy the work and you spend all this time invested, let alone the money, right, mm -hmm. into it. And maybe they want to be a messin, but not full time. I'm just wondering with you, you have uh, one kiddo, mm -hmm. you know, how are you grappling with this, this conflict yeah. or is it something that you're not having? You know, uh, yeah. what, what is that like for I, you? I personally am not too conflicted because thankfully, I mean, I do in general have a, a you know, a eight to six job. So you know, and I can take off perhaps for, for something after school if I need to. But I think ultimately we've really found a balance with um, outsourcing. So we have an amazing nanny. And so she actually helps us with some of our household management type things and stuff like that. So um, having more than a babysitter, having someone who can really help you overall with the household and just having like a third person to really help out is amazing. So um, and, and also, you know, my daughter adores her and she adores my daughter. So I just, it's, you know, I think overall it takes a village. It takes a village to raise a child. And whether you have, you know, grandparents in town um, or if you don't, you know, if, even if you have the daycare that your daughter goes to or your kids go to, that's your village. These are your people. You know, you need to build your village around you. And it takes some time when you move to a new town to find those resources. But that's your village. And I don't think a couple or you know, a single person or anything can raise a child alone. I, I think that's doing your whole family disservice because you you need a village. So that's how I, I feel. Like I did feel guilty back when I first dropped my daughter off at the daycare when I was a resident. But mm. uh, but they had such wonderful people working there, and my daughter loved, loved them. And then, you know, she had other little kids that she played with when she was a toddler and stuff. And so it was really great for her development to actually be at the daycare. So I never felt that conflict and also i know i would be a horrible stay-at-home mother so i would fail <laughs> miserably that's not where my skills are <laughs> so that's good so yeah yeah so so at this point carrie where you're getting out of the student debt you're working your way through it you know how are you tracking progress to financial freedom. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? Yeah, I have, um, you know, I have all my student loans in an Excel spreadsheet. So I'm, you know, every maybe two or three months, I update it and just kind of see where we're going with those. I'm snowballing my my student loans now um, that I have. Um, most of them are, are consolidated. I had some small ones that were, you know, a couple thousand. So I'm snowballing those. I snowballed my car loan and, and paid off my car and snowballed it into my student loans and stuff like that. So I, I use the Excel spreadsheet and um, and I mentioned YNAB uh, before, which is a great budgeting software program. Um, I've used Mint um, in the past, and so I've had I've had about a ten year history with Mint. Um, I've used Mint since before it was bought out by um, by the big company that they were bought out by. Intuit. Intuit, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I have a long history with them, so I can kind of look at things over time. But uh, yeah, I try to keep track of it and try to. You know, now what I've learned is you just have to play with the numbers. You have to touch them. You have to feel them. You have to feel the pain of the student loans. You know, it's like if you just if you don't think about them because they're in deferment or, you know, or they're in auto pay on the minimum amount of balance, you just you just don't feel them. So now I look at them a lot, which is probably, I don't know, maybe one of my, my uh, <laughs> neuroses right now. But I look at my student loans a lot and I update that spreadsheet, not every month, but every few months. So. So I know where I'm going. And and also, I mean, I'm getting, um, I'm vetting out some other um, uh, financial planners and just trying to just, you know, make a new plan for all, for my future and and try to figure out when we, we can retire. So, yeah, I think having a plan is so, the most important thing. So it sounds like you, you, you certainly do a lot of work yourself, mm -hmm. but then at the same point, you're like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what this could look like, so getting some some help yes. from various people like, from time to time like i said is, is something yeah outsourcing is important i think and this is one thing that uh that i think can be outsourced i mean of course there's a lot of people out there jim dolly um from white coat investor definitely is a is an advocate of doing things yourself and i think mm -hmm. that's true to a certain um point but i want to make sure my numbers are right knowing everything all the ins and outs of that there's a lot of nuances so um, so definitely I, I, I need help with that. And, but I think what's important with that, you have to know, you actually still have to do your research and make sure that everything is, is appropriate. So I think it takes work. Um, it still takes work. You can't just let that go because it's your money. It's your future. You have to be invested in it both 
yep. monetarily and and with your mind, you have to be invested. So yeah. Interesting. No, I, I think um, th- those are great points for everyone to think about. Um, and is 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 for you? You know, do you like look at an age? Do you look at an income? Are you looking at like a big fat pile of cash <laughs> that you want to have? You know, like h- how do you how do you look at it from that perspective? Yeah, roughly we've used that four percent rule um, that uh, you can use to calculate how much money you might need as as your nest egg at retirement. So, so um, you know, um, Bonnie and I have talked about this in one of our episodes on our podcast about what our goals are, and um, you know, for me, it's about four million. I think. Um, it might be a little bit more if we can stuff a little bit more in there. We can retire a little bit earlier, um, but uh, yeah. So you know, that's that's kind of our our goal right now is to try to get there. And it seems so daunting because we really are behind. That's the problem with uh, with medical school is you end up being really behind <laughs> on saving for this sort of thing. So right, yeah. Well, especially compared to peers, right? That it graduated yeah. at twenty two mm-hmm. and uh, are have been making money for a while. That's right. Um, well, Carrie, uh, do we have some time for a lightning round? Oh, do you want to do a little okay. bit of lightning round here? Sure, sure. All right. So, Carrie, what do you think are the top three financial habits that you have? Well, let's see. Um, uh, maybe having a fun fund. That's a F-U-N-F-U-N-D <laughs> in my, in a my fun budget. Fund. A fun fund. <laughs> All right. So that's having a little bit of money saved or not saved, but allow like allowance, I suppose, for spending so that you don't feel like you can't spend money. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Credit card points for, for ah. you know, for flights and things like that. And then we already talked about using YNAB to track progress. So nice, nice. Yeah. Travel hacking is something Travel I want to learn more about. We'll, Love we'll it. To talk more about that another time. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure that you spend money on? Yeah, skiing. I live in Denver. <laughs> And we definitely, definitely buy our season passes every year, and we um, and we go up as much as we can to go skiing. So I think it's it's hard to live down here and see the mountains every day and not go up in the <laughs> right. winter. So yeah, <laughs> skiing. We we have a ski jump just down the street from my no, place really? here. So it's like a giant ski jump. I'm scared to death to ever go. Oh my god! I but anyhow. <laughs> So I think you might have already answered this question, but it's one the new one that I want to ask. So when it comes to financial freedom, would you rather have mountains of cash or roaring rivers of income? Oh my gosh, I would have to do the math on that. <laughs> what would be the overall, you know, return on my investment if I had the mountain of cash versus the the river? I don't know. There's my answer. <laughs> I got to do the math. There you go. <laughs> and it's interesting uh, since it's a newer question. I think. Um, there's there's people that are into real estate that we've wow. had here on the podcast yeah. that are much more into the income idea. There's people that uh, more traditional bloggers that would be in the white coat investor form that are into the mountains of cash, just like you talked mm-hmm. about a three percent or four percent rule or whatever you want to pick. Mm-hmm. And personally, I'm going for both. Oh, so that's that's, that's uh, a, a little little of each. So <laughs> now, Carrie, everyone has a superpower. What? is yours. Oh my gosh. What is my superpower? I think researching is my superpower. That's my, 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 my power, I guess. I'm really good at researching everything I buy. I have to research. It's kind of obnoxious. Mm. I have to make sure I'm getting the best deal on everything. So it's not very spectacular. Well, you know, but <laughs> you know, Carrie, I, I have a cash value life insurance policy mm. that is amazing. Guaranteed <laughs> 8% rate of return. <laughs> Oh, well, I better Google that. Let me get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Carrie, as we wrap up this interview, uh, I'd love to know from you if you are not a practicing physician and you are a medical student that is uh, pregnant, perhaps, uh-huh. and you could sit down with a younger Carrie that is um, transitioning, just matched out of medical school. What advice would you give to her? Oh, I would still tell her, don't worry, don't worry, everything will be fine. And you'll have, you know, everything will be good. You'll, you know, you'll graduate and you'll get into work. And all that stress of having a new kid is just, it just, just comes, you just got to roll with the punches, but it'll be fine. It'll be okay. And, uh, um, and not to worry too much, even though, you know, I say you should still pay attention to your finances, but don't worry too much. You know, there's still life to live out there and um, and you'll still have a great time and a great life um, while paying off your student loans. So, yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Any other closing thoughts you think folks should be aware of? 
Oh gosh, I think just just you know try to stay away from materialism as and and lifestyle creep and um, and pay off as many loans as you can and try to get that financial independence so that you can do whatever you'd like with your medical career and not feel like you have to work, you know exactly how people tell you. That's definitely my my motto. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Well, thank you, Carrie, for being on the podcast. Thank you for being vulnerable and transparent about your journey. It's never easy sharing stuff like this. And I highly encourage everyone to check out the Hippocratic Hustle podcast so you can tune in and hear uh, other physician stories and learn more about Carrie and what she's got going on. Uh, so, Carrie, if people have more questions, where can they find you? Where can they find the podcast? Yeah, HippocraticHustle.com. We're on iTunes as well, so you can just search for Hippocratic Hustle. Um, or you can contact me at Carrie, that's C-A-R-R-I-E, at HippocraticHustle.com. There we go. There we go, my friends. That wraps it up for today. And in the next podcast, I would love to tell your story. So connect with me. You can contact me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com or on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. Now, also, if you get, get got, got and gained a great value out of this podcast and you love guests like Carrie, here's what I want you to do. Grab your friend's iPhone, iPad, Android device, as long as it doesn't blow up on you. Find the podcast link and get them subscribed to the podcast and download some of your favorite episodes. And hopefully they love it and you can take all the credit. If they don't, you can just blame it on me and said I told you to do it, all right? Anyhow, thank you so much for joining my joining me, my friends. It means so much to have you take time out of your super busy and compressed schedule. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Hey, this is Dave Denniston, and I hope you love today's episode. If you do, and you want more ideas on achieving financial freedom, I am committed to helping you end your year right. And that's why, my friend, the last two months of the year here, I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. This book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is over three hundred pages. Yes, 300 pages. It's packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially, whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even if you've been practicing for a long time. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available, and I will make sure to give you an early bird discount. And as I may have mentioned previously, uh, this book is especially near and dear to my heart because we are going to have a charitable mission for this book. The profits of this shall go two ways. One way to the Physician Support Initiative that was founded by my co-author, Amanda Liu, who tragically passed away, as well as to her daughter to provide some money for college. This is so important to me, so I'm only going to offer this as a discount through the end of the year, and then we're going to be selling the book at retail price, my friends. To snag your copy now and get on the early bird list, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. Thank you so much. Enjoy.